0: All right, gang, if you brought your Bible, I want you to open it to Luke chapter 14, all right? Luke chapter 14. Today we're going to introduce a brand new series of messages on a subject that, in my opinion, is not only extremely relevant, it will make sense to all of us. It is terribly critical. You hear me say periodically, one of the problems with our culture and one of the problems with our churches, is that we're all overscheduled and therefore undercommitted. We say yes to almost everything, and sometimes that forces us to say no to some very important and even eternal issues. We're going to talk about priorities over the next few weeks. The subject is, as I say, as practical as they come. It's relevant. It can impact every one of us where we live. You have priorities, and I have priorities. Every decision you make, and I read this week, over 3,000 times a day, you decide. You decide to hit the snooze in the morning. (laughs) You decide what you're going to have for breakfast. You decide what you're going to wear to work. You decide what time you're going to leave. You decide to mash the gas and run through the yellow light on your way. You decide if you have time enough to stop for a cup of coffee. Every decision that you and I make every day is governed by a sense of priority. Your Priorities not only influence your life, they not only influence its direction, they impact the people around you too. If you're a father, your sense of priority impacts your wife and your children. If you're a mother, your priorities impact your family. If you're a business owner, your priorities impact your employees. Most importantly, and what I hope you'll see and gather from this series of messages is your sense of priorities determines the health of your faith walk of your relationship with God. Jesus had a lot to say about priorities. His very first public sermon was called the Sermon on the Mount. It comes from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus makes a profound statement of priority. The first part of the verse reads, seek first his God's kingdom and his God's righteousness. Seek first his kingdom. Seek it first. That's a statement of time and priority. First on your list, Jesus said, in the midst of all the other things in your life that you deem are important, the first one should be God's way, God's work, and God's will. Consider them first as priority one. This is how we honor God with our lives. Seek first his kingdom kingdom and his righteousness. Now stop for a minute and think about all the things we seek in this life. Many of us are on a happiness quest. We are seeking happiness. Fulfillment. We are seeking fulfillment. Wealth, riches, health. We are seeking all of these. Jesus said, let me make it very simple. The very first thing you should seek before all others is his kingdom and his righteousness. So over the next few weeks, we're going to examine what we're calling the commitments or the choices that we must make if we're going to make it. Now, I want to play a video clip for you. Uh, This is an older movie. It's one of my favorites. It's called Family Man. Now, this movie is probably 15 years old. Some of you might not have seen it, but let me set it up briefly. Nicolas Cage stars with Tia Leone, I think that's her name, And Nicolas Cage has the opportunity to go back and relive his own life again, this time making different choices, different commitments, all governed by a new sense of priority. He goes back, and all of a sudden, he's married. All of a sudden, he has children. He had married his high school sweetheart in this second chance life. And and compared to the life he was living, was kind of like a, a wealthy playboy of sorts, which was terribly unfulfilling, his new life with a wife and a family and a common job and a very ordinary existence was incredibly rewarding. At the very end of the movie, when he realizes he has to go back to his less than fulfilling life and away from the life he has fallen in love with, he runs to the airport to catch Teo, Teo Leone, I'm not saying her name right, forgive me. Uh, he runs to the airport to catch her uh, because she doesn't know anything he's talking about and she's about to get on an airplane and go to Paris. Here's how it plays out watch this.
1: The house is a mess, but it's ours. After 120 more payments, it's going to be ours. <laughs> and you, you're a nonprofit lawyer. That's right, you're completely nonprofit but that doesn't seem to bother you. And we're in love. After 13 years of marriage, we're still unbelievably in love. You won't even let me touch you till I've said it. I sing to you. Not all the time, but, but definitely on special occasions. You know, we've, we've dealt with our share of surprises and, and, and made a lot of sacrifices, but we stayed together. You see, you're a better person than I am. And it made me a better person to be around you. I don't know, maybe maybe it was all just a dream. Maybe I I went to bed one lonely night in December and I, I imagined it all, but I swear, nothing's ever felt more real. And if you get on that plane right now will disappear forever. I know we could both go on with our lives, and we'd both be fine. But I've seen what we could be like together. And I choose us. Please, Kate. One cup of coffee. You can always go to Paris please not tonight okay Jack
0: If you had seen that whole movie, you'd be crying right now. (laughs) Look, imagine Jesus sitting down with you and saying, I've seen what your life can be. I've seen what your family can be. I have seen what your retirement can look like. I have seen who you can be. Would you be interested? All of that boils down, church, to your sense of priorities. The road you choose to take. Robert Frost wrote a famous poem, The Road Less Traveled, or The Road Not Taken. And in the poem, two roads or two paths diverged in a wood. He knew he didn't have time to explore both roads, so he had to make a choice. He had to choose. By the time we get to the end of the poem, we realize he's talking about something infinitely more important than the choice of two paths in the woods. He ends the poem by saying, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in the wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Obviously, he's not talking about a simple choice in two roads in the woods. He's he's talking about the choice of the paths we take in life. The choice of the road symbolizes any choice you might make between two similar-looking alternatives that lead to completely and entirely different uh, destinations. You see, the life that you're currently living, the family you currently have, the job you're currently on, is largely the result of the choices that you've made in the past. Now, we've talked about this many times. It's called the path principle. You didn't get where you are simply by hoping it 15 years ago or dreaming it 10 years ago. You got where you are today based upon the choices you made to determine which path you would take. And your priorities serve as signposts along the way To help you decide which road to take. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about priorities. To some, they're actually written down in a journal somewhere. If you're kind of that type A, high D personality type, you've listed them out. Uh, To others, they're in the back of our minds. They're sorted, they're organized. But my fear is that for too many of us, priorities are adopted and rejected given any change in circumstance. At a moment's notice, Dr. Charles Stanley is one of my favorite Bible teachers, and he's written, a life without priorities is usually characterized by the word mediocre. He goes on, things are only momentarily exciting. You find yourself caught in a natural drifting process. You see, I would argue that it's the drifting that gets to us. It's the drifting process that robs us of our fulfillment. No drive, no Focus, no fulfillment, just sort of up and down, you know, depending on the weather. When things are good, they're very good, but it only lasts for a time. And when things are bad, they're as bad as they could be. You see, the reason priorities matter is because we leave, live in a culture that has embraced what I like to call the big lie, perhaps the biggest lie in our culture. And here it is I can have it all. You can have it all. You're special. Other people must sacrifice. Others might have to choose, but you're not others. Others are intimidated by making the choices. You shouldn't have to choose because you've somehow earned it. You're entitled. It's the American dream. I can have it all. I can have a fulfilling career. I can have the most rewarding family life anyone has ever imagined. I can have a growing faith walk with God. I can have influence in the lives of others. I can have a meaningful position at work. I can have a condo at the beach. I can have a house on the lake. I can have a three-week vacation in the summer. I can have a 3,300-square-foot house in the right neighborhood. I can have it all. Well, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? In your 20s, when you're gaining your education, and you're planning the course of your life. I can have it all. But look around at the 50-year-olds and the 60-year-olds and the 70-year-olds in this room, and many of them will tell you, no, you can't. Because one of those things will ultimately cost you another. The fulfilling career may cost you the rewarding family. The rewarding family may cost you the condo at the beach. The growing faith walk may cost you on one level or another. Let me show you some interesting statistical data. You hear me talk about the Barna Group sometimes, B-A-R-N-A, the Barna Group. The Barna Group is a religious think tank out West, and it's their job to research, to study, and chart religion in, in, in the United States of America. Look at this following chart here. According to the Barna Group, 84% of Americans say their religious faith is, quote, very important. Now, that's a high number, especially when you look around on the political scene. Doesn't seem like there are a lot of religious people out there in America, but 84% of Americans surveyed say my religious faith, regardless of what it is, they say it's, quote, very important. But now notice, less than half of Americans surveyed attended a religious service last year. So so stop before we go any further. Eight out of 10 say, yeah, my faith is very important. But only four out of 10 attended a one religious church service in the past year. Some sort of disconnect already. 22%, that's one in five, shared their faith last year. Do you realize when you describe your relationship with God to a neighbor or a coworker or a family member and you simply invite them to church, when you say the words, I've been going to Grace Community Church and it's really strengthening my faith walk, you are sharing your faith. When you invite someone to this place who typically doesn't attend church, you are sharing your faith. 84% say my faith is very important, but only one in five actually share it with someone else. 20%, again, one in five participate in group Bible study, like a small group or something like that. 4% embrace a biblical worldview, and 3% give a biblical tithe to their church. Now, what do those numbers tell you? There's a disconnect somewhere. Those numbers tell me that no matter how you slice it, we are a people with misplaced priorities, Or no priorities at all. How can you say on the one hand, my religious faith is very important and never invite anybody to church and never give a prioritized percentage of your income to the local church and not embrace a biblical worldview? How can you do that? It all boils down to a person's sense of priorities. The fact is in America, we want our faith to be very important, but we also want to have a fulfilling career, make a lot of money. We want our faith to be very important, but we also want to gather more and more possessions, pile up more and more stuff. We want our faith to be very important, but we also want influence. We also want to be the world's greatest parent. We also want recreation. We also want time off. And the list goes on and on. The big lie that you can have it all is robbing you of your potential and your chance to honor God and really enjoy life. Again, The scriptures have a lot to say about time and priority. I had no trouble coming up with four passages. I could have come up with 40 regarding this series on priority. So much of our lives boil down to whether or not we have priorities and the priorities we've established. During this series, I'm going to show you their necessity, their relevance. I'm going to show you their importance. The natural outcome of living without priorities is simple. When we do not possess a clear sense of priority, we find ourselves making decisions based upon these two things, momentary desires and emergencies. You see, if you're the kind of person who just lives day by day without a clear sense of what's most important, then you are deciding whether you consciously know it or not. Every decision you make is based upon those two factors. Momentary desires. These are the things that really interest us. These are the things that catch our eye. These are the things that sound fun, happy, fulfilling. These are the things that if we have the time, if we have the money, if we can clear our schedule, man, sign me up, count me in. Momentary desires are the reasons why we feel phone phone conversations Calls and text messages on Saturday night, people backing out of responsibilities on Sunday morning because something better has come along. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't serve in the nursery because I forgot we're going to the lake. Oh, I'm sorry, we can't teach the kindergartners because I'm sorry, we forgot we're going to the coast. You see, momentary desires are fueling your choices unless you have a clear sense of priority. Emergencies, they speak for themselves, Right? Emergency! the squeaky wheel always gets the grease, right? I mean, I've had conversations with dads in our church trying to motivate them to spend more time with children. And a dad will say, man, I work all the time. I just don't have enough time with my kids until the kid has an emergency. And then that dad realizes, man, I've been off for three days with my kid because of an emergency. You realize you have more time than you think. If you live without priority, a clear sense of priority, those two factors are steering your life. They're determining your path for you. Jesus addresses this in Luke chapter 14. I want you to read with me in verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus replies A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now, You know what a parable is? A parable is a story that everybody can understand because it's where we live, but it has a much higher meaning according to God. And in this parable, I want you to know that the master of the house, the one throwing the party, the banquet, that's God, okay? The guests, that's Israel, his own people. Again, verse 16, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. So God is preparing an eternal home in heaven and invites all his people Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Now you'll see in a moment that of the three examples he gives, not one of them holds water. They all smack of insincerity. Their priority was not the master of the banquet. Their decisions prove it. Keep reading. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now, who goes and buys a big piece of property without seeing it, right? But this guy did. Now, even if he did buy it without seeing it, he's already bought it. The property's not going anywhere. He could have gone to the banquet and then gone and seen the property. Here's excuse number two, verse 19. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, how many of you would buy a brand new car, sight unseen? How many of you would buy a second-hand car, but new to you, without ever sitting in the driver's seat and hearing the motor run? Well, that's what this guy did. Excuse number three, verse 20. Still another said, I just got married. Now, depending on the woman he chose, this guy may have something here. <laughs> I just got married, so I can't come. Already Whipped. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys in the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, don't forget, the Pharisees, the highest of the Jews, those religious supermen, the Pharisees believed that if you were poor, crippled, blind, or lame, That you had fallen out of favor with God Almighty. They were looked down upon as unclean or impure. Um, If you were poor, it was because you did something to upset God, and he saw to it that you couldn't earn money. If you were crippled or lame or blind, you had offended God. You had sinned so dramatically that God had cursed you to that life. All right? So this master says, Go out and get all those people that my people think are cursed. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, verse 22, What you ordered has already been done, but there is still room. Church, there will always be room in the kingdom of God for all eternity because God's desire to save sinners will always be larger than sinners' desires to be saved. There will always be room. There is still room, verse 23. Verse 23, Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads, the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Verse 24, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The Jews had rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. Israel, therefore, got shut out of the banquet. And incidentally, in case you don't know this, the people listening to this parable who should have been learning something about their sense of priority... Most of them were killed 40 years later in A.D. 70 when the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem and tore down the temple. Jesus is telling us in very clear language. I mean, an elementary school student can understand the parable of the great banquet. He's telling us a story about priorities. And in that culture, a banquet, a meal gathering was about as good as it got, see? There were no professional baseball teams, right? No giant foam, we're number one fingers, right? No little league soccer, no Lions Club. Uh, A meal gathering was just about it. It was a big social event, a, a banquet or a wedding. This was a big deal. But because the host of the party was not prioritized by these guests, other interests captured their attention. And so as a result to the poor response to the invitations, He sends out new invitations to people who were willing to reprioritize or rearrange their schedules, and they were the ones, and will be the ones, frankly, who will be fed and blessed. Look, the big lie states that no matter who you are, you're special. You deserve it. You can have it all. But Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That should be priority one. Someone has written, he who seeks one thing and but one may hope to achieve it before life is done. But he who seeks all things wherever he goes must reap around him in whatever he sows a harvest of barren regret. When I was a little boy, one of the the biggest things to me was to go to the circus. When the circus came to town, we would always go when I was a child. In fact, growing up in Central Florida, we weren't very far from the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh, Circus World was in Kissimmee, Orlando area, and the museum for the Ringling Brothers was down in Sarasota. One of my most fascinating events, all the trapeze, that was cool, the high wire, that was amazing, but I liked the lion tamer. The lion tamers back in the day always carried a stool into the lion cage, and in that moment with a pistol on their hip and a whip on their side, the stool becomes the most important tool of the lion tamer. Now, we all know what it feels like to be sitting in our office in a stack full of you know, unanswered emails, and we've got computer work and desk work. The phone is ringing, and at that moment, somebody walks in, and we're in a state of paralysis, wondering, how am I going to get all of this done? Well, William H. Henson, who wrote a story on the Origin of the lion tamer tells us that the reason the stool is most important for the lion tamer is that as the lion tamer thrusts the stool into the face of that angry lion, that deadly beast, the animal tries to focus on all four of its legs. Every lion tamer holds the stool like this, not like this, and not like this. The reason he holds it like this is because the four legs Paralyze the animal. While trying to focus on all four of the legs, the animal becomes docile. It becomes tame. It can be captured. It can be controlled. Now, that's the way a lot of people live their lives. Paralyzed because they cannot decide. And the reason they cannot decide is they have never established. The number one most important thing to me is, and you fill in the blank. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness. I'm here to tell you today that you cannot have it at all. I'm sorry to be the one to report that to you, but you are going to have to choose. And if you refuse to choose, then momentary desires and emergencies are going to determine the path of your life. And that, my friend, is no way to live. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You know how the verse ends? And all these things will be given to you as well. Let me ask you something. What's more valuable? That 3,400 square foot house in the right neighborhood in town? That membership to the country club? Or that 1,700 foot house that you can easily afford, pay your bills, find contentment, raise your family? The choices you make determine the paths you will live. And your priorities will function as signposts along the way. It is my hope, it is my prayer, that over the next four weeks, your sense of priority will shift or will narrow or will focus. And it will change your life. God bless you.